Hey guys, welcome to part two with Danny Pintaro. I am Christine Lakin. You are listening to Worst Ever Podcast, and this is a great episode. We follow up with Danny about how he got into the business and also talk more about how he was outed as a gay man, his trials and tribulations, his drug abuse, his sobriety, and that famous interview with Oprah. Enjoy. The worst moments of our life. Hey girl, hey, that's bad. Uh, so speaking of like worst ever experiences. That is the worst ever. I don't feel so good. And that was my worst audition ever. How bad can it be? <laughs> and we feel the pain is best or funny. Yeah, I um, know, but did you grow up in Cali? No, oh no, before that, no, no, New Jersey. I was like, what? Uh, no, I was born in New oh. Jersey and was there until I was about six and then basically moved to um, LA for Cujo, then went back to New Jersey and then I got Who's the Boss and then Who's we the moved boss. to LA. Yeah. Um, Are you an only child, Danny? I am, yes. Oh my God, me too. Oh, I hate it. Cause my Do you? Crazy and so they have nobody else to focus on but me. <laughs> I think it's honestly was, harder for me as I got older. When yeah, I was younger, it didn't bother me at all. Oh, it's only as older, for sure. Yeah, yeah agreed. And after Who's the Boss, did you want to continue acting? Or what did you want to do after? I mean, what did you go to Stanford for? I went to Stanford to be a veterinarian. That was the whole that, point. That and was the point. And that's the full circle of the story that we will get to of the Austin allows you to do whatever it is you've always wanted to do. Um, but yeah, no, I went to Stanford to be a vet. And uh, I got there. And I started the courses that are necessary for that. And I could not, I couldn't do it. Uh, my brain is so right, left, which, which one is it? The one that's not science and math. I have right. none of that. Um, it's terrible. And it was, it was probably the hardest time in my life to figure that out. And mm -hmm. so the idea is, is my entire life is a series of moments where I said, well, maybe I am just supposed to be an actor that happened over and over and over again. And I'm a big sort of believer in the fates and sort of what you're, you know, what you're destined to be and what you're supposed to be. And, and I, over the years I've tried everything and each thing I was like, this is what I'm actually supposed to be. And it would fail miserably. And I would say, God damn it. Maybe I am supposed to be an actor and I would try to be an actor. And that would go every time it was worse. It was just a, a, war, a bad experience and they would get worse. And at some point I finally said, no, it's, I'm done with that nonsense. But it took, it took till my late twenties to figure that out. Um, oh, that's and, not bad. A lot of people are, are still trying to figure that out. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business that just keeps sucking you back in if you've yeah. done it once. And, but that's the thing yeah, is, it's hard. If I'm only getting sucked, or I was only getting sucked back in because everything else I tried to do would fail. And I was yeah. so disheartening that I was making such a specific effort to find something else. And God damn it, if the world just was saying to me, no, you know, it's, uh, took a long time. Well, then, how did you end up in Vegas then? Vegas was, I was selling Tupperware because uh, I couldn't figure out anything else to do at that point. Um, I had already gotten through all the meth stuff and then I had some suicide stuff. Mm. And I left my job as a, um, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It was, it, it, I mean, after the journey that I had been on, it was, 
I'm not surprised that I had. But what? Okay, so then wait, where were you during the meth and the suicides? Like, where were you there? Are you? Uh, meth started when I was living in New York City, um, and the meth started because of sex, not because of mental or sort of life stuff. It turned right. into life stuff, but it was specifically because at the time in New York, and kind of still is in a lot of ways, and people aren't really willing to talk about it yet. Uh, is there's this thing in the gay community and the sexual worlds where back then, especially people had reached their limits and the only way to sort of break through their limits was meth because it really removes all of your inhibitions. And so all the things you were too afraid to try in a sexual context became, you know, much more interesting when meth was on the table. So, Mm -hmm. um, so that's how it started. And then it turned into like, oh God. Um, and then it turned into like something I just couldn't get rid of uh, for many, many years. So I mm-hmm. tried to stop in New York, um, was unsuccessful, finally moved back to LA because New York just was, it had become everywhere I went was a, a meth moment, like a meth moment. Um, and I couldn't do it anymore. So I went back to LA, started to try to be an actor again. Um, <laughs> that failed miserably. Oh but, like, God. That's, that's when the ones, that's when the real like fucking piss me off stories happen um, specifically. And I went back to the meth and was doing the meth in LA and kind of finally got rid of it eventually. But by that point- Through, I was trying through to treatment it. or on your own? I did it on my own um, because I had gotten to a place where uh, the five days of exhaustion and sleep and miserableness after having a sort of meth weekend had become had become so taxing and awful that I, that's kind of what saved me. And a lot of people don't have that come down right. um, as bad. Some people, it's like a day of sleep and then they're back to work which is why so many people are doing it that you don't know are doing it because literally they- They're functional. They're functional. Um, And I was not, I was not functional and it just made life really awful. So that's a blessing. Um, If that, if I hadn't had that, if it hadn't been so hard to get, get through that week after a weekend of it, I'd be dead. Absolutely. If, if I didn't have that. Yeah. Wow. We have a, we have a friend, Christine and I, uh, you ever, you ever see the musical or heard the musical uh, Bear, B-A-R-E? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So a friend of ours who wrote, who was a producer and wrote the music um, for it, he was, a he has passed since, but he was also a meth addict and he's gay and, and went through the whole struggles almost he didn't come out of it, obviously. Uh, he passed, but uh, through him, I learned, and through my other friends, that, that it is such a sexual drug where it just sort of like it, it takes all the inhibitions. I mean, the stuff that I was hearing that he had he had said that even when he was going through recovery and then he fell back, he was telling me stories, and I couldn't believe like some of the stuff. And I was like, no one in their right mind at that time, like. Here's a successful music, you know, it, it, huge scores for films, and he's doing this, and the 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 ugliness that came out of it sexually for him, mm-hmm. the stories I've never heard. It was like this can't be true. Yeah, it's so, sort of bad. 
I mean, it's bad, bad. And it's so prevalent in Los Angeles and New York. And I'm assuming Vegas couldn't have been great. Oh, no. Um, but by, ba- by Vegas, I was way past it. And thankfully, I, I quickly, after getting to Vegas, met my husband. And um, he, he won't even let me smoke pot. So, <laughs> I mean, it's not a matter of right. money, But I love him enough. Or <laughs> now I'm really putting my foot in it. I love him so much that I won't take go down those roads because it would ruin what we have which is well not that but i mean not to say that pot's a gateway or alcohol's a gateway whatever it is but you don't want to get back into a pattern where you think it he might think it might lead to something else yeah and for him it's just that that none of that stuff makes sense um and so it's not even for him like oh it'll lead you down that road he just doesn't understand what the fun of doing coke is like it just doesn't make sense right right Um, and he's got some bad history too with boyfriends that were doing it behind his back. And so now he's got that. Um, so that's been a blessing because yes, there have been times in the last six years where it sounded like a really great idea after karaoke on my way home to, to get back into that. And um, you know, karaoke is definitely the gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I was, agree with you. I, I was hosting karaoke in, in Austin for the first couple of years I was here. It was really fun. Um, but yeah, after karaoke on Monday night, I would be looking <laughs> a or scruff because he and I have an open relationship when it comes to that. And there'd be guys and a couple of times I ended up at somebody's house where they were doing it and I didn't know until I got there. Um, and I was able to stay away, thank God. That's didn't great. Miss and head home, but uh, yeah, it's uh, great, it's so much it, more prevalent than you have any idea. You both of you know people who are doing meth, and you don't know that they are currently. Probably hundred percent. Oh no, no question. There are. I'm very naive when it comes to drugs. I have always said that. Like I, I under like pot. Please, I understand people smoking pot. I see pot all the time. Obviously, it's legal here, so it's not. That's not a thing. But when I'm, I'm talking about like harder drugs. I remember being at a party, and people were always like, "Oh, you must like be around so many drugs all the time from you know growing up in the industry." And I'm like, honestly, not really. Yes, probably. I just like <laughs> I'm like blind. I remember being at a party in college with a girlfriend. And someone pulled out Coke next to me and was doing it. And I was like shocked by it. I was like, oh my Lord, Lord have mercy, my heavens. Like, I was like, I couldn't believe I had seen it. It was like, I was, you know, I was just so blind, I think so much of the time to it. Yeah, and uh, thankfully, my reaction after being offered it was, no thanks, not now, not ever. I never tried well, no, it, I, I never wanted to I, try it. I'm just it. so scared of it. I mean, I just I'm, started getting I'm into- like you, I'm like, I'm like- I'm just scared. Frightened I might like yeah, it. Yeah, I'm scared so, of it. Right. Oh, I know. I know. I would love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so wait a minute. You, I mean, Danny, you've gone through so much shit, really. I mean, in a good in a good way, right? Well, first ten minutes, and I've already pretty much told you all the the deep dark. Stuff. Well, no, it's not really that deep. I mean, it's been it's been it's been public. I mean, it's not like you yeah. haven't talked about it, right? No, I, mean, no, the, I think. The, the Oprah interview was iconic. I mean, that was like, which I want to get to also, but. So was the you interview. That was also iconic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I. Um, Wrong ways. Yeah, I know. Uh, we'll talk about that too. I'll let you explain it. <laughs> and then, but we'll get to that. Like, 
oh god what does that mean i'm dying to hear no like you how difficult and 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 be honest when it can when it comes to like your sexuality the drug addiction um the transformation to go from child star to do you think do you think career wise was it part of your issues when it came to the drugs i mean was acting a big thing i mean a lot of child stars from the 80s and 90s to move forward after that like christine's a has-been at this point right so um thank god she's got a directing um going for her um but it's a it's it's a hard transition for young adults and ch- and child actors to go into adulthood with fame. It's just and especially during that time, I think it's very different now because there's so many platforms, and we've talked about this, Christine. There's so many platforms to reinvent yourself now, whereas back then it's like you're an iconic character, right, on a hit series, and to get another job after that, it's hard. Because they always look at you as that guy. It's very hard. It's it's near impossible. Um, I think it's been a combination because, as I said before, I was I was determined not to be an actor. So that's the really crappy part is that the things that I tried also didn't work out. If if one of those things had worked out, if casting director or talent agent or um, a restaurant man. I mean, all the other things that I tried, if, if any of those had worked out or actually proved to be successful, I would never have tried to be an actor again. Sure. So I have this backwards version where when the other stuff didn't work out, I tried to be an actor again. When acting and, is your fallback. I saw. <laughs> yeah. And then I had the experiences you're trying to say where, you know, the, all the child's actor stuff came into play and I would fall flat on my face in that realm. And then I would try something else that wasn't acting related, but Oh, absolutely. There was no moment when I did not experience all the shit that comes from being a child actor. And then I was a gay child actor and now I'm a gay HIV positive child actor. Now I, right. I wouldn't even bother to try at this point. Like that, that's just going to be a whole mess of a waste of time. Um, but yeah, no, it was a mess. But you know, this, the acting business, it went out of its way to make things as difficult as it could be. I keep saying that, but it really was. Like, I was trying to be an actor. I had been given, I, had, I got a call. Uh, here's an offer to do a charity reading of a new film in LA. And I, my manager called me. I said, yes. He called them back and they said, oh, we already offered it to somebody else. Oh, God. Legit, like it was just every uh, thing. I have this Will and Grace story. Oh my God, do you want to hear the Will and Grace story? Yes, the Will and Grace story. Okay, so wait, reboot of Will and Grace or old version of Will and Grace? The original Will and Grace when it was you know in its real heyday. Um, So I get a call one afternoon that uh, oh my God, they're talking about you on Will and Grace. I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, yeah. So I turned it on. They mentioned me like five times in this one episode, Karen steals my wallet at a gay bar. And there's this whole thing about it. She's got these funny lines about trying to give it back to me. I forget the details, but it was legit like five lines. Uh, I was the celebrity in the gay bar that they were in, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Nobody ever told me (laughs) beforehand. 
I didn't get any, no, no heads up. Just all of a sudden I'm on will and grace. So my manager calls them and says, Hey, um, you know, <laughs> you mentioned him five times in the episode. Why don't you bring him on the show? And their legit answer was, do you know how many celebrities are trying to get on will and grace? And my manager said, yes, but how many of them have you mentioned five times in an episode? (laughs) Bring him on for a taxi. I don't know. He gets his wallet back from care. We gave him tons of nothing, like just full on nothing. And I was like, okay, whatever. So a couple of months later, I was at a charity thing for uh, the Trevor Project. And the only real loser in this whole story, truthfully, is the Trevor Project. And I feel endlessly bad about it now. But um, we're at this big thing hundreds and hundreds of people, lots of celebrities. And one of the auction items is a walk-on road roll for Will and Grace. So what do I start doing? I start bidding for a walk-on roll. The producers are there. And I'm like, hi, producers. If you won't fucking bring me on, I'll buy my way onto your fucking show. (laughs) Can you tell how much this story pisses me off? Yes. So I'm bidding. And then all of a sudden, uh, Fudge, what is her name? She is a porn star. Um, a Jenna Jameson? No, older. Um, sh- uh, what is her name? Tracy Lords. Oh, yeah. Yes. Tracy Lords starts bidding against me. So Bitch. Tracy Lords and I start bidding in, and we're talking over $3,000 at this point. To, for the walk-on. So finally we get to a place and neither of us wants to go further. And one of the producers says, give it to both of them. So we both won walk-ons to Will and Grace. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cut to a couple of weeks later, we finally get a call from them and they're like, oh, we've got an idea. You and Tracy are going to come on and be a couple and you're in an elevator and something happens. And I was like, I'm not going on Will and Grace. A t- no, I'm not. I'm, I'm the gayest gay. I'm not going on Will and Grace. To <laughs> it's a straight. Boyfriend to a straight porn star? What the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, so we're like, no, come up with something else. Um, uh, they, I brought a, I forget what the other idea was. There was another really like small role. And I was like, no, it's not worth the time. Finally, we get a call from them. Okay, we have this fantastic idea. You're going to be the first guest on Jack's new talk show. Um, and, uh, oh, wait, what, what was it? Um, yeah, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That's the second half of the story. The first half is Jack's going to woo you to try to be the talk show host. But if you remember, I don't know if you remember the story. Yeah. Jack's trying to woo this celebrity, but he ends up, it's what he wants. He wants to be the host. So he right. like ruins it. I forget what happened, but um, they were like, "Yeah, yeah, you'll be the celebrity. It's a big role. It's like the whole episode." Um, let you know this sounds great, and I was like, "I'm on board. Let's do it." Um, I guess they start writing it, and then they come back to us, and they were like, "Oh, that didn't work out. Um, that didn't work out so much. We're not going with that storyline. We're not going with that storyline. So instead, you'll be the first guest on Jack's talk show. And I was like, oh, that's even cooler. And they were like, yeah, it's the uh, season finale and it's a cliffhanger. Um, You'll be on stage when What's Her Face says something to Jack and it's this big cliffhanger. And I was like, all right, I'm on board. 
So the scripts are written. I read the lines. It's great. It's really funny. Um, I show up and they're filming the two parts in one week. Um, so uh, they're, they start reading at the table read. They start reading the episode before mine in which Jack is trying to woo Seth Green to <gasps> be the talk show host uh, for the episode. Oh, uh, Lord. Yeah, oh, yeah. So um, I apparently wasn't famous enough uh, to, to get that role that they said wasn't even going to be in the show. So oh, I'm like, Danny, okay, I have to tell you, this is, I mean, it's such a familiar story, and I hate that it's it was. Ridiculous. I hate that it is. Yeah, it's, um, just, it's just ridiculous. I can't tell you how many times there's been, like, all, all the, it's all the cloak and daggery stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I kind of really hate. I wish they would just say, listen, we thought about you for this story. Turns out we're actually going to hire someone else, but we are going to find something. Just like be a little more transparent about it. Yeah, of it's course. Just, really, it's so annoying. That's um, no, I, I love it. Have you ever heard of anyone saying, uh, we're looking for a Danny Pintaro type? Oh, God. I, I, In casting? Because no. I have literally seen on a breakdown, we're looking for a Christine Lakin type. Oh, I wish. And I'm like, I'm right here. <laughs> Why is no one calling me? <laughs> This is bullshit. Oh yeah, no, that's pretty <laughs> typical of it. Yeah, for sure. What, what was the last, um, what was it, your last acting thing that you've done? Uh, well, I mean, we did this little quarantine group thing that we just did, which was funny. Oh, cool. That's not really acting. It's called The Quarantine Bunch. It was silly and fun. It's online. It's got uh, Scott Schwartz and Jeremy Miller and um, uh, what's her name's husband? Um, what's her name's husband? Tori Spelling's husband, Dean. Oh, Dylan. Dermot, oh, God. And yeah. Julie Norton. And uh, what's the other guy's name? God, they're all right out of my head. We just did it. And it was fun, but it didn't really go anywhere. Um, it was so much the, fun, though. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I direct more now uh, than act. But every now and then, I something feels right or I wanna, I'm inspired by it and I want to go read for it or whatever. But um, I recently in quarantine got... Uh, a breakdown saying um, to self-tape, need them all back by tomorrow. You'd be playing a hot Pilates instructor. Now, mind you, okay. my hair, like, thank you for thinking of me, A. <laughs> my hair is gray. Um, it's not gray. No, mm, the light in here is generous. My hair is gray, and then it's my daughter and I did some, like, fun, like color fun. So now it's, like, gray and vaguely purple. Like, there's a lot going on in the beauty department that is not to be rectified. B, it also said, um, you'll be self-taping. This is a quarantined um, this is a quarantined project. People will be coming into your house to set up cameras, and you will be filming it inside your home. And I'm like, with my kids and my crazy dog who's on Prozac? You think that's going to work <laughs> out? <laughs> like, respectfully... I don't, I think I'm going to have to pass on this. Oh my God. That sounds <laughs> it's not going to work out for me. Way below you, darling. Way below. I don't know what's happening. What is this? So, it was from like a major uh, network, which I found so bizarre. A instructor on, um, no. This not with this great purple hair. We were playing ourselves and uh, <laughs> it, it was, you know, dumb, but like, ah, come on, don't you give, don't give into that nonsense. You're better. Oh, I didn't. No, I can't. No, but I did think it was quite funny. I think it's fun when, you know, I've had friends do play readings and stuff like that through Zoom, and I and that's great. I I can't imagine actually trying to film a series through it. It feels like it would be a bit a bit nuts. Um, 
Well, I want to get to some of these interviews. I want to talk about that um, oh, yeah. if you're willing to, because I think it would be really interesting. Well, first of all, he doesn't care. When you came out, um, is it true that you were outed? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how did who? that happen? I was at Stanford and I was doing Stanford. Um, and I wasn't really trying to hide it by that point. I had the boyfriend and I was getting into the community there. I still don't know how this radio station found out about it. There was a radio station in the Bay Area that called me somehow, got my phone number, called me. Uh, I'm studying for finals. And they were like, hey, we've heard that um, you like boys. And I was like, I... I forget what I said. It was really coy. It was well said, whatever. I forget what it is now, but I, I sort of hinted at it, but didn't, I didn't deny it. I didn't, uh, I didn't mm -hmm. admit it. Um, I got a call like three days later from the inquirer saying that they'd heard about that and did some research and, uh, we're going to do a story about me being gay, whether I liked it or not. And did I want to participate? Um, yeah. So, wow. It was a um, but believe it or not, I, so the big, the story that comes out of that is that I told a hundred times is that the first person I called after that was Judith because she, by then was, you know, big, huge, you know, gay rights activist. Yeah. Um, and I called her and I said, what do I do? And she said, look, there's one thing in journalism, which is they can't misquote you. They can mess with the stuff around your words, but they can't mess with your words. So if you give them a legitimate, um, real interview and just talk from the heart it can't be that bad right um and so i was like okay cool so i did it and i went into it as it being a very serious interview and i wanted to sort of talk about my life and i i didn't sensationalize anything and i didn't um i just told the story uh and and the actual inquirer article is actually really well done <laughs> mm -hmm. believe it or not for the inquirer uh it's very like heartfelt and um and honest and was pretty good um so well, it's good I, yeah. I hate that it you know i wish that it had been your decision and not theirs well that happened to chad allen as well you know that right? i remember yeah. yeah 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 it's happened to a bunch of them it should uh it should happen to one particular person right now um in the news in the political news uh Ooh. yes lady g have you not heard the stories recently um, oh i think i know what you're talking about of what yeah it's it's kind of percolating particularly in the gay community i think because we know that well just say uh, say allegedly whatever it is allegedly somebody big in politics has been yeah. hiring um male sex workers for like ten, last 10 years um and uh people are like finally i guess he made them sign NDAs. and he is um they've decided that they don't give a shit and they're going to talk about it anyway um and the ball has started rolling so we'll see we'll see what happens oh okay i well, can't wait to hear who you're talking about off air yeah okay um <laughs> But and then, like, okay. So I'm never a fan. I'm never a fan of outing anyone. It's always a bad idea. No. Unless no. in this particular case, this politician has gone out of his way to put through as many bills that are as un LGBT friendly as you could possibly muster. Yes. Uh, and and so he doesn't get that. He doesn't have that choice. He doesn't get to say 
in this case because he's made such a mess for the gay community uh, for us to find out that he's spent the last 10 years getting effed in the ass. Uh, it's not okay. And um, it's one of the rare exceptions to that rule, right? Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Oprah interview. Yeah. Oh, so I, that was amazing. When, uh, when did this happen? At what, uh, at what point in your life were you? I was living in Vegas and it okay. was, it was only like eight, eight years ago, eight or nine years ago. Wasn't that yeah. Long? Were you drug free at that point? I was very drug free at that point. I was married. Um, and they had contacted me. So I had started talking to my best friend who was also my publicist for like anything that came up. I was like, look, I, I feel like I'm ready to talk about it. I had talked about wanting to talk about it many years before and realized at the time that it would have been uh, to perhaps put myself back into the news. And so I, I decided, thankfully, uh, when drugs were around and when I was being more of a mess um, to shelve it, thank God. I don't know what I ended up, I don't know why I ended up deciding not to, but thank God I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, so finally, when I'm, you know, married and happy and drug-free with a successful career at that time as a restaurant manager for P.F. Chang's. Um, Which I love, the, the, the wrap, the lettuce wraps there. Oh, God, just, they're the best, Just, just they? letting, go, and ahead. I, go ahead. I've been to that P.F. Chang's in Vegas. It's great. Uh, the one on the Strip? Yes. Oh, yes. I was managing one off the strip at the time. Oh, okay. But I did my manager training. He couldn't, you mean you couldn't even get job on the strip? <laughs> I know I did. I did. That was okay. where I trained to be a manager. But okay. uh, it was fucking awful. 14 hour days. I'm sure. Tourists and Chinese food? No. I was like, uh uh, I'm done with this. I was like, you need to transfer me to another location or I quit. I cannot. It was the worst. I'm uh, sure it's very grinding. It was awful. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've gotten to that thing where customers are just, they take advantage. If I can get free food by telling them it's not hot enough because I took 10 minutes to take photos of my picture or my mm. food, uh, for my Instagram feed. Right. Uh, mm, oh, I can't even. Uh. Anyway. Um, so uh, I was like, you know, vaguely talking about it with him. And then I just randomly got a call from Oprah's people because they were doing a where are they now? nothing, nothing to do with anything other than where are they now? Because she has that show on her, um, on her station. Right. Own. Uh, on yeah. Own. Where it's yeah. about a where are they now thing. Um, and I thought, gosh, I don't know, maybe this. So I got on the phone with the producer and I said, this is a, a much, I'm about to present to you a much bigger story than a where are they now? And you can tell me what you think of it. Um, and two and a half hours later on the phone with this producer, she was like, let me call Oprah. Um, and next day she said, I talked to, to Oprah and she's absolutely on board and, uh, we'd love to help you make this happen in the right way. Oh, that's amazing. So let's do it. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. It was, I'm really, sure. Yeah. It was, you did that in Chicago or in LA? Uh, where was I? Um, not Chicago. I was in LA at her studios there. The, okay. The, the own studios. I forget where they yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, it's um, where the old, near the Warner Brothers, old Warner Brothers was. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was great. And, you know, I walked in and she, I was, I was petrified. I <laughs> was 
absolutely petrified. This was a huge decision, you know. Yeah. Um, All right, I, walk me through that whole moment though, because so you get you get to LA, you go into the own studios. They shut they shuttle you in to I'm assuming a green room or a dressing room, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and she had was doing an episode. She was doing like five episodes in in one day, so I knew right. I didn't have a lot of time with her. But my husband was there, and my best friend was there, and my manager slash publicist friend was there. And everybody was just like, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. I was crying. It was awful. I mean, I was, oh my gosh. I knew this was a decision that would change my life forever. And I also knew because of my, you know, time in the business that it would pretty much either make or break the career or have some, some long lasting effects on the career. Or, or sure. give you a path or give you a path, honestly, uh, in a different way to be a spokesperson and an activist. Of course. Right? And that's what I had prepared for. And uh, I had had enough advance notice with the interview that I, I had quit my job and was going to spend literally a year just sort of being an activist. Like I had made this huge commitment to that process um, post the Oprah interview airing, for sure. Um, and she, she, I sat down and she said, you know, it's going to be all right. She said, what do you want to accomplish with this interview? And I told her the sort of three main points I was hoping to accomplish. And she said, okay. Which were, which were what? Um, God, what were they now? Um, talking, I forget what they were. Um, but we, we did them all in the interview. It was, I think, basically mm -hmm. to tell um, the sort of backstory to the HIV slash meth mm -hmm. combination, because that was a big part of the what I wanted to accomplish, the sort of idea that meth is absolutely entwined with HIV and infection. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to talk about um, the plan that I had for this year to sort of be the spokesperson. And I wanted to talk about how just because you have HIV doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, and so we did the interview and afterwards she said, I think we got those. I think we really accomplished those goals. That was pretty much literally all she said to me. Did that you get a car or a gift bag? What? No I gift bag? I got a car there. <laughs> no, I, I drove myself. I drove myself there. Yeah, I didn't really get much. Um, oh, a gift that's bag? That's amazing. No gift I mean, bag. come on. Wait a minute. So, so the interview happens, and so it, like, headlines. It makes headlines. Yes, very much. And I, I, uh, I was hopeful for that, at least. I was like, look, if I'm going to go through all of this, it's at least got to be a fairly big story in the news, or I'm going to be really pissed. <laughs> um, well, it was. And it, and it sort of, like, in a weird way, in a weird way, reconnected you and Alyssa. It completely reconnected me with her. Because she found out when everyone else found out. A hundred percent. She found yeah. out, like, on, in an interview, if I yeah. correctly. Yeah, because she called me, and I was like, huh? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, because I hadn't, so I had told Tony and Judith because I was still in contact with them, but Alyssa and I had fallen out a long while ago in terms of connecting. I didn't have a way to let her know beforehand. Right. Uh, other than like, you know, trying to call her agents and make all that right. happen. I was like, ah, nah, nah. Right. It's just um, weird. Yeah. It's weird. And it, yeah. maybe it's not even really that big of a deal. And maybe no one's going to really care. So I didn't make that much of an effort and then it happens and everyone cares and she gets asked in the interview and caught that interview and she almost starts crying and it was like really 
Oh my god, that and it Are was, you talking about the talk? I think it was the talk, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll always and remember And that's where it. she found that's where she they told First her and then oh my god. She found out about it. Um man, that was a fantastic interview. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I think wow. she was co-hosting the talk that day or something yes. and it it yes. had just come out and there was like they asked if she wanted if she would talk about it and she said yeah and then she it was a it was her first statement you know publicly yeah. so you know a lot of celebrities make a statement on stuff but they don't make it on tv live right right <laughs> <laughs> so her emotion towards it and her you know feelings were real and guttural because it was live yeah right now can i ask you a personal question is your is your husband positive as well no He's not. Okay. Okay. In all these years, he's not because I'm undetectable. So right. The explain just for, just for some fans who don't know the knowledge, don't know what undetectable means. Just briefly, yes. you would. The the brief version of the story is, is that if you're on HIV medications, the medications bring your viral load down to such a level that it is undetectable on the machines they use to to determine if you have HIV. There's so little of it in my bloodstream that the machine literally spits back out undetectable. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it's negative because that's not possible yet, um, but it means that it's so low the machines can't register it. But it also means that it is so low that my chances of transmitting it to someone who is not positive are very, 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 very low. And in fact, at this point, there are no truly cases in which someone who was undetectable positive has ever transmitted the virus to someone who was not. Um, Isn't that amazing? Yes. I mean, when you think about how far the, the med medical profession has gone in, in terms of treating people who live and will live long lives with HIV, I mean... Yeah. You probably know, and I know several people that passed away um, that I knew when I was a child. And I mean, that was, it was really during the AIDS crisis. And it was such a, it was, it was such just an unknown beast and nobody knew how to deal with it, you know, but it, it gives you so much hope for modern medicine. Well, it's also, it's, it, it's also an interesting parallel to what we're going through today with COVID, you know. Uh, yes. Um, it's and, kind yes, of, in some ways, I agree. Yeah. It, well, it, it, it it reminds me of the AIDS um, um, pandemic or epidemic uh, with the whole during the Reagan years and yeah. and and so we're sort of in that same place decades later but with a different kind of disease. Yeah. But the other uh, and the other thing is, I, I mean, I imagine you know a lot of where your advocacy work comes in is about getting tested getting on the right medications, talking about it. You know, we all had to, we all had to get around talking about it because it, it was this big sort of like hush, hush of like, nobody talks about AIDS. Nobody yeah. talks about HIV, you know? Right. And, and it, but that's, I think, again, comes from this like puritanical thing where nobody talked about sex. Yeah. Nobody talked about protective sex. Sure. And, and, right. and gay and, and all the bias that comes with yes, that. Yes, right. And the, the Reagan administration having turned it into sort of a gay thing as opposed to... Yeah. Right. Well, like the Trump administration sort of turning this into a Chinese thing. You know, it's yeah. not... <laughs> we don't really know, you know? It's, you yeah. know... Uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, I don't know the quotes now, I have to go and look, but there are a lot of sort of gay activists who are 
not happy that people compare the two. Um, I get that. For different reasons. Um, but overall, there is a lot of comparison and you just have to compare them in the right way, <laughs> yes. um, if that makes any sense. But it is the same idea that there is something that's transmittable between people and the only way to sort of protect yourself is to get tested and know whether you have it or not. And, um, you know, the fact that the government is not making the effort to get people tested is comparable for sure. Um, and people not doing what they need to do to protect themselves is also comparable for sure. In different and I think it affects disproportionately, uh, you know, COVID has definitely been shown to uh, proportionally disaffect people of color and minorities and lower, you know, um, lower income yeah. class populations. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, I remember it. the very beginning of the pandemic um, thinking I had it because, you know, Allah gave it to me. You can listen to an earlier episode. He gave me the COVID. Uh, and oh, we both had it. We both had it. And wow. he was feeling really bad and I was feeling really bad and I wanted to get tested and I couldn't because they're just, it, no one had him yet. Yeah. And I had somebody call me and say, you know, if you think you have it, I have a number of a doctor you can call and you can pay for it. It was like some back door. It's $300. It's you can go to their office. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to no. do this. Like, I don't know what this is. This is some kind of wealthy. I cut the system. I pay for it. I get it. No, I'm not. No, it no I, we should all be able to be tested. This is I went and did my drive through and got tested. Okay. I got the fucking thing stuck up my nose. Finally. Yes. Finally, we both did. It, yeah, did it was. Got it from? I got it. Alyssa and I, so Alyssa was doing a movie in Portland. So we were there for two weeks. The, it broke in that, that Washington area, right where we were. Oh, no, we were like in zone A and then literally um, her cousin Jesse had a wedding in New York as soon as we wrapped. So we both flew to New York to go to the wedding in New York. We fly to New York March 6th. The oh, wedding's God. on March 7th. She oh, flies God. home March 8th. I stay an extra day, fly March 9th. I do a podcast with Christine March 10th. March 10th that night, I'm down for the count. Like oh, so sick. God. Yeah. March 14th, yeah. I'm down for the count. Right. Oh, so God. I. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know if I got it in Portland or if I got it in New York. Okay. Yeah. And Crazy. Alyssa didn't get it? Or is that well, here's the issue with Alyssa. And I don't want to tell her story, but I, I you know, I'm like, she's very god bless her love her death but she's very like i gotta get tested right away like you know she gets into panic mode and she's you know she wants to like yeah we were both sick she was really sick and i was sick same time i couldn't get a test she got a test right oh, interesting she went she went two or three days later and it was too early because a lot of doctors are saying it's got to be in your system for at least five or six days before it oh, registers right. on the testing. Right. Okay. So I keep saying to her, I keep saying, you got your test too early because I got my test two weeks after and I still tested negative. Right. Oh, and, but my, but I made my roommate get tested the same day because we had been in the same space together. His test came back positive, but he was asymptomatic. So I was, and then Christine tested positive for the antibodies. So, and she had the same thing. So I was her carrier as well. So it just came and down to me. Think, and, you know. yeah. Right. And then I got my antibody test positive. 
Now, if I we had done my- this right, if the government had done this right, you wouldn't be having this conversation. You would know right. no. that the path would no. be clear and right. you wouldn't be at this fucking mess. Right. You're about that's to right. have uh, a second wave that's even worse than the first. It, it's going to match the influenza. It's going to match that 1918, isn't it? 1918? Spanish flu. Yeah, it was the Spanish flu. It's going to match that exactly. And the Spanish flu's second wave was like 10 times worse than the first, if I read correctly. It's going to be bad. And I've always said that. I really, I know this is a bad thing to say, um, but I'm going to say it. Go ahead. Say it. I truly wish that it was a lot worse than it was. Um, Because people are never, like, Americans specifically are not going to, they're not, they don't get on board with stuff because there's so much access to information until it directly affects them. And well, if we truly had, like, if it were really a pandemic where everyone in the country was affected in some way, then none of this nonsense would have happened. I don't know. I just, is that? No, I understand what you're, I understand what you're saying. It probably didn't come out right. But I, I do understand. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. The issue is, it's like, and, and, and I'm experiencing it today, and you're experiencing it being where you are in Texas. Yeah, that's um, what I'm trying to say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like if you would have seen me day one when I got off the plane, I was like covered up and like freaking out. If you see me now, because everyone is so relaxed around me, I'm like guards down. I'm being doing stupid things. Like in LA, you can't go to the gas station without fucking wearing a mask, like pumping gas. Oh, Here, in my neighborhood, you like, get like mask shamed. Yeah, you get mask shamed. People are oh, like. Okay. No, not not here. No, they look at you like you're crazy if you wear a mask here. What I mean is the fact that more than most of the country doesn't actually believe that there have been 100,000 people who died. Like, no, I will get, yeah. A lot of, they would think, oh, I don't, I don't, um, are you sure? Like, the fact that they're not able to be convinced. No, we lost Real change only comes when you're directly faced with the fear and the the truth of that moment. And most of the country hasn't had to face that fear or that truth. And I imagine it must be very strange to live in a small town in the middle of nowhere or in a rural area and to not have these massive numbers, to not hear the sirens like they heard them in New York over and over. I mean, it's a, you're right, it's a completely different experience. But um, the numbers also are based on the testing. There's not a... True, <laughs> true. If they're not getting to, if they're not testing everybody, you're not getting the true numbers. It's just, that's how true. it works. Yeah. Um, you know? Well, I hate to cut this off, you guys, but I'm actually in a booth uh, and I'm, I'm in the middle of a job and I have to go back to work. <laughs> Go back to work. Sorry. She's such Um, a bitch. I know. Danny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I just have loved chatting with you. I know. You'll have to come back when you're in, we have to do it in person. um, Oh, that would be Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Many more stories I can tell. I love it. Oh, I know. I know. I want to have you back for sure. Uh, Yeah. This is a to be continued, let's say, with Danny because I want to have him back to finish all this off. Yeah. Where can we find you, Danny? Social wise, <laughs> I barely have that. If you search my name, Danny Pintaro, a few things will come up. I have like a sort of a Facebook page and I have sort of a Facebook Twitter, but 
I'm, I work 45 hours a week at a veterinary office. I ain't got time for the social media. So I've just, I've really fallen out of the loop with that. And uh, the activist stuff, really fell by the wayside. That's some stories that we should come back to for sure. Yes, yeah, I would love to. Hear that. that year did not work out uh, the way it was supposed to for a couple of different reasons that are quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm really part just- Part two. A part two. I'm living a little, I'm living my life here in Austin. So I don't really have much. Um, but yeah, find, search my name and some stuff will come up. Don't search too hard or you might find some um, dirty pictures. <laughs> Well, we'll put that up on our Instagram. Yeah, we'll uh, like it. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. You can find me on the social. I am Yo Lakin on Instagram. And, and you I can am, find Worst Ever Podcast at Worst Ever Podcast. Yeah, you can get merchandise at WorstEverPodcast.com. And you can find me at Alec Led. Don't ask. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Danny, for coming on. And we'll hear you guys soon. Don't staying cool, everyone. The worst moments of our life. Hey, girl, hey, that's bad. Uh, so speaking of, like, worst ever experiences. That is the worst ever. I don't feel so good. And that was my worst audition ever. How bad can it be? <laughs> and we feel the pain is best or funny.